Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Rocks Live podcast. I'm Greg and today I'm pleased to say I'm bringing you a conversation with the brilliant Dr. Phil Price. Phil is a senior lecturer in strength and conditioning and biomechanics at St. Mary's University. He's also the host of the Progress Theory podcast. He is currently researching hybrid training and is part of a research group who are investigating and developing exercise countermeasures for the training of astronauts during space travel. Phil is an incredibly knowledgeable guy with some fantastic insights into hybrid training and I was really pleased to be able to get to speak to him and basically fire questions that I had at him all about how to optimise your training for strength and endurance when preparing for something like high rocks. We get into the do's and don'ts of zone 2 training, uh, recovery techniques including ice baths, common hybrid training mistakes, what the research shows about hybrid training and the interference effect and lots more. If you want to optimise your Hyrox training or simply like to geek out on training methods, then this is for you. Before we get into the episode, I just want to give a few shout outs to two companies who helped make this show possible. Firstly, Wit Fitness. Wit worked with some of the biggest athletic brands in the world, as well as some of the most unique and up and coming brands in the training space to provide us athletes with an awesome choice of product, footwear and clothing. They've got such a good range and now do sell Hyrox branded wear as well on the site. So it is a very convenient way to get your hands on that without having to wait until the Hyrox events. What's more, they're giving you, my dear listener, 15% off for all new customers when you use the code WELCOME15 at checkout. So head over to wit-fitness.com and check out the range and remember to use code WELCOME15 to save yourself 15%. Also, massive shout out to X Endurance who specialise in endurance sports and who offer a range of supplements perfect for someone preparing for and competing in high rocks. Things like their Career Pure Creatine, their Fuel 5 Car product and their great tasting electrolytes are some of the best of their type on the market and something that I, as a nutritionist, believe most people would benefit from if they are training for Hyrox. So go check them out at xendurance.eu. Right, I think that's everything covered. Hope you enjoy this wide-ranging, insightful chat with a very knowledgeable Dr. Phil Price. All right, we're live. Dr. Phil Price, welcome to the show. Hi, mate. Yeah, I'm all good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Um, if we, can we just start with just a bit of background info about yourself? Just tell us a bit about yourself and then we can go from there. Yeah, sure. So I guess best place to start is um, I'm a lecturer at St. Mary's University. I've been teaching there for I've been, it's been so long, I keep forgetting. I think it's 14 years in February. Um, so I teach on the strength and conditioning degree and the biomechanics degree. We've got several degrees leading from undergraduate to, we have a professional doctorate. So it's like undergraduate, master's, PhD. Um, so teach across all those uh, and uh, for S&C. And then we've got a biomechanics me- uh, master's as well, which um, I teach on as well. Um, on top of that, I host a podcast called The Progress Theory. Uh, which varies on topics usually uh, from series to series. But last series, uh, we focused more on hybrid training and whether it's from more like, you know, just focusing on two sports, you know, like powerlifting or, uh, and I don't know, triathlon uh, and just looking at the differences or what we could do to uh, improve our training to maximize performance there, but also leading into the more like CrossFit where you've got sort of more outputs, um, so that was really enjoyable, and I'm currently writing a book based on uh, the stuff uh, I learned on the on the podcast. You know, I always wanted to do the podcast because I think the best way of learning is to you know 
I mean, I come from an academic background, but you also need a lot of experience as well. You can't just, you know, um, just have your uh, eggs in one basket. I think I think it's a good blend of experience and uh, and um, and research. So uh, that's what I was trying to achieve with that. Um, in addition to that, I part of a research group called the Hi-Fi M research group, which is high frequency impulse for microgravity. So uh, that is a um, it's, it's a multi device countermeasure uh, what i mean by that is it's a piece of equipment which we've um i'm working with someone that's developed and we've been testing in microgravity uh, so the idea is that we get it into space so it could be used by astronauts so that is my uh other area of interest it's like training for astronauts and then hybrid training awesome and you've you've done at least one high rocks right yeah i've done three I've done two pros and I've done a mixed doubles. Um, much more of a fan of mixed doubles. I like a bit of a rest. I did it with my wife. Um, so it was a nice bit of rest in between. I think there are very, very different events. Yeah. I also think the events are very different between the pro and the open. Um, because how you how you experience some of the stations is completely different, especially when it comes to the, the sled. Um, so, yeah, I... I find that fascinating. Just slight changes makes a complete difference in how you might prepare for a particular event. But I guess it's quite similar to, to CrossFit. You know, you do one uh, wad with 50 kilos on the bar and then you do it again on 70. It's a completely different strategy. You need to complete it. So, um, yeah, I, I think High Rocks is really growing and, and exploding. We're actually doing the mixed doubles again in, in Birmingham, October. Mm-hmm. So that'll be entertaining. Obviously, we was speaking before we came on got a six month old baby uh we're both pretty tired and training isn't exactly going as well as it was pre-baby so uh it'll be you know it'll be a lot of fun yeah cool all right um i saw that you're talking about the the six month old or the future world champion as you often <laughs> call him uh yeah. i saw i saw you mentioned that uh there was a you put up a question about if you lived your life again, what skills do you think are essential for you to develop when you were younger? And you said with him, I think you're planning on starting with swimming and gymnastics as, as a foundation. Um, mm. What's, what's, what's the reason for that out of interest? A lot of it's just to gen, um, improve or start improving general movement patterns and spatial awareness. Um, you know, I want him to move well, but at the same time, I want him to, uh, have good perception of where his body is in terms of the environment. I think that's a really important skill when it comes to other sports, especially sports that involve like more of a chaotic environment, football, rugby, hockey. Um, I think decision-making uh, at that stage and, 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 you know, the elite level of that level is what separates those from the rest. Um, so I think that provides a good foundation and then, I will start introducing lots of different sports based on <laughs> where his interests are as he goes through. Cause you know, a lot of the recommendations are around keeping the, uh, you know, a youngster in multi-sport until you know, even around 16 um, and then start to specialize after that, because then they can utilize that wide array of physical qualities into whatever sport they may have, um, you know, having a decent engine will help improve uh, your ability to recover if you choose a sport which involves more repeated sprints etc cetera, etc cetera, and you can develop that over time so um 
that's probably yeah that's why um, you know i'd start with swimming swimming for obvious reasons i want to be able to swim i think it's a good life skill but uh gymnastics i think just acts as uh, a bit of a base and you know at that level they're kind of just playing around aren't they it's like a mini obstacle course with with padding and um (laughs) and you learn the old skill there here and there and i think that's great just to create an environment of free play so they can just figure it out for themselves over time um so yeah i wish i had done it i never did any gymnastics and you can really tell with how i move as an adult so (laughs) funny enough i I was reading an article in men's health yesterday with uh ollie march on and he'd uh, he'd said he'd started his kids off um with with swimming and gymnastics as well Mm. um so yeah um, if we if we go like you mentioned the progress theory podcast that, that you've done and you did a, a series on on hybrid training um what is there any like, sort of new research that's you know re- yeah, relatively new research within the realm of hybrid training and most specifically towards like high rocks that you think is that might be of interest to people i know it's a broad question yeah I mean, I can give like an overview of what I feel where the research is good and where it's lacking. Um, there's been enough literature to provide an overview of what might be some of the mechanisms contributing to what may interfere with each other if you start training for strength and endurance. Um, <clears throat> overall, I think if you're an office athlete, and I'd argue even a moderate athlete, um, that a lot of the time you wouldn't necessarily need to worry that much. So, and that's probably why we've seen such success with sports like CrossFit, where they might have someone that's training an hour a day and they do a session where they've got a strength portion, then they do some Metcon. And then the next day they might be doing some sort of low intensity work. Um, Everything's separated by 24 hours. And unless you're not doing something stupid, like a marathon followed by a powerlifting competition, you you know, really big events, which require specific training for, um, then you're probably not going to see that much of a, a problem. Uh, you won't get that much of a interference effect. You just progress a little bit more slowly because you're trying to develop multiple things instead of one, mm-hmm. which is the same with any, any skill. So that's, um, I think it's painted that picture really well. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's transferred well into the training community because you get the old person saying, look at this runner and then, uh, look at this power athlete you know they're completely different if uh, one started training uh you know um powerlifter started training in, in endurance training you would start losing strength etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like well yeah yeah you have a point but they are both at, you've given examples at the elite level um like if you dropped to like the sub elite level you could probably as we're seeing in crossfit as we're seeing in high rocks people are achieving amazing things yes they might not be competing for olympic records but in many countries, they could probably compete at the national level. And that's pretty damn impressive. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think the research actually says that even though there's some methodologies, I don't think is as good as it could be. And that's because it's, it becomes difficult to do. Um, But I think it paints that picture well. And I think maybe that hasn't necessarily leaked towards the, um, the general population. Uh, where I do think feel, it could go. Do, oh. Sorry, do you feel like the interference effect does become more relevant for someone like doing double training days or anything like that? Yeah. So it becomes more of an issue the more you, the greater the level that you are, is because you've got a greater fitness level to potentially lose. 
So that's where it becomes an issue. And you're training more, your intensities and volumes are higher. And because of that, the human body has to, you know, to get better when you're already at that level, you've got to really push yourself. And that takes a, a lot of <laughs> hard training. So of course, there's going to be a potential overlap. I would argue that as soon as you reach that level and you start doing double training days, you can do things easily to minimize any interference effect. It's just that you could also, you know, by good programming, but at the same time, you could also do bad programming and have the complete opposite effect. So really it just gets to a level. It's like, yeah, it could be an issue, but that will depend on your program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. Were, were you going to say where, where the research is lacking? Uh, I think where the research is heading, I think we're starting to have a better understanding of what's happening like at the muscle. Um, like anyone that's done high watch could probably tell that, oh, my quads are blowing up. You know, maybe you've gone from uh, the, the lunge portion uh, to the to the run or you've like, I always know that my worst run section is after either the row and the lunge. But obviously the row and lunge are doing two completely different things. One's probably going to get my, um, I guess it's a bit more systematic. It's a bit more like whole body. You're breathing harder because of the, because of the row. Whereas the lunge is a bit more, maybe slightly more focused on the lower limb musculature as I go through greater range of motions to be able to do that. So the physiological response from the row and the, uh, lunge is completely different yet both affect my run so it's like well why um, and I think we're learning a bit more about that and when we learn a bit more about that and then start to take those ideas and implement into like training intervention research we might have a better idea of you know how to um, optimize I don't like using the word optimize but tailor some training to try and improve high rocks rather than just doing loads of things that look like the sport itself mm -hmm. okay and um if we, if we shift to like uh, energy systems or training intensity or, or zone two, maybe specifically, um, well, if, if we start at like the basic level, can you, can you just talk like what zone two training might be for someone that's heard about it, maybe interested in doing it and, and how they should go about doing that? Yeah, sure. I mean, zone two training is essentially just low intensity training on a single modality. As soon as you start moving around loads of different modalities, the body then requires it to move blood to all sorts of different areas. Um, and that shunting of blood to particular areas, you know, the dilation of capillaries around the muscle to get blood to the area because it's carrying the oxygen it needs to help with the contraction. Um, then it becomes not really zone two. Um, you know, you, you're not really defining zone two just on heart rate. Typically, when it's low intensity, you're doing training, say it's a run, uh, say it's a bike, uh, is doing it around the area where you get that first inflection point where the uh, lactate starts to rise. And why I say, what I mean by around, it, there's several different ways you could define where it is zone two. And some people have it before, some people have it just after. So uh, just saying zone two is like, well, whereabouts? Because clearly there's a physiological response um, happening here, there. Uh, and the idea of spending a lot of time in this area is just to improve blood flow to the working muscles. It helps improve cardiac output. It helps improve the ability of developing a steady state um, situation in your in your body where you have this 
uh, homeostasis between uh, the waste products that you generate from the aerobic processes and the ability for the body to use it or to remove it. Uh, so for example, lactate isn't just like these waste products. Yeah, it gets removed by the blood, but at the same time, it's a signaling uh, molecule. Uh, it can be broken down further for energy, et cetera, et cetera. So the body uses it. It's a really important molecule. Um, so lots of zone two training can actually help our ability to recover. So that's why you hear a lot of people saying, you know, do your a large volume of low intensity work because it helps your ability to physiologically recover from the harder type of training that you will also do and probably do more of as you reach towards, I don't know, like a high watch competition. Um, so yeah, I think low intensity uh, training is really, really quite important. So it's great to see it got a bit of a boom recently. Um, <laughs> sometimes people go a bit too far with it, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still important. Uh, and it, these, I guess these, booms often come from when people see things going a little bit wrong in the industry and i think loads of people were to sort of like training at a really high intensity every day um and you know then all of a sudden they just don't have that ability to develop that base um so you know i was saying about that first lactate point it then occurs really early so for example if i if i had if i only trained at high intensity all the time I'd have like a what's known as a lactate threshold, which is quite, which occurs really early in terms of if I had a graded exposure of intensity if I was running. Um, so my body would go straight away to using lactate and essentially carbohydrates for energy. So, well, you don't nearly really need to do that because muscle glycogen is a limited store. Your ability to stay in that intensity level is limited as well. So why <laughs> you, you don't really want that. You, you you start to impair your ability to recover uh, recover because the body goes straight to perceiving that low intensity work is high intensity work because they use the same processes to develop energy for it so you, you don't want that i've seen people say um that they've seen similar responses to those that are diabetics in like crossfit athletes that only train like 100 percent all the time um and that's that's not going to help you recover that well and whether that affects your training long term or your ability to recover in a competition um but it's both going to have an impact but um, yeah um i i, I feel like you know it, it is getting more attention at the moment but i also feel like some newcomers to high rocks because there is there are gains in high rocks to be made from like the race experience and going high intensity and, and so on it almost feels like the high intensity is working for them uh, but it's not necessarily a long-term strategy and having some zone two in there for your long-term health and, and performance um, makes sense. Um, for, for someone that wants to, to train in zone two, you sort of touched on that heart rate isn't everything. And and I guess it even if it was, it would differ by modality. Um, how would you measure if you're in zone two, if you didn't want to go to a, a lab and get tested and so on? Yeah, um, I mean, because it's low intensity training, what I've often done is that I will say I'm running. I have a phrase that I use that I'll say out loud when I'm running. And the idea is that by the end of that phrase, I'm still not out of breath. So if I am out of breath, by the time I finish that phrase, I'm probably too high. Uh, and so I need to slow down. 
Uh, and the reason for that is that when you're the reason you get when your lactate starts to increase like that, you get a change in ventilatory response. So lactate threshold one is often seen as very similar to uh, ventilatory threshold one. So really, if I'm going to be before that threshold, I know that I'm there if I can continue having a conversation. If I can't because I get breathless when speaking, then I know I've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with going into that higher levels. Like we all know we need to do high intensity training. Um, but if you want to particularly focus on your um, low intensity work, I'd find a, you know a phrase that would work for you and have it long enough to the point where it's like a sentence or two long because you could even at a pretty high intensity you can say a few sentences without sort of starting to get breathless um unfortunately for me it's probably quite very very slow uh the reason i don't use heart rate is because um well it, it really i really see it at the moment because obviously my sleep isn't great with a young child and there's a number of different things that can affect your heart rate um heat um uh lack of sleep a number of different things so i find it yeah caffeine i I find it helps but i wouldn't be able to use it on its own so i need something else to help guide me and i use this um i guess they call it the talk test um to, to help me know that i'm in that range i mean it's not you know as good as going to a lab and actually having it tested uh and I, I've seen online people use similar things, which is great, but then they argue that it's like, this is the best way. And so, well, technically, even though you're using the talk test, you're still guessing, um, but you're using other factors to help you guess better. So saying it's like the best way is probably not the best way of advertising <laughs> it. Just say it's probably a good way of doing things if you don't have all that lab tech. What's your phrase? Can I ask? Yeah, it is. Oh, I the shows I haven't run for a while. <laughs> uh, it's the the function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time, which uh, is by Jack London. They use it at the end of uh, the most recent James Bond film when he. Oh, I can't, can't give that away because people might not have seen it, but uh, they do a bit of a eulogy. I, I really particularly liked it, and I thought that bit was the best part of the film. So I've just, I've kept it. Everyone has that like one quote they use and that's probably, that's probably been my one. So I've then, screw it. I'm going to use it with my running training. Um, I mean, it's like three sentences long. Um, So it could be too long, but uh, I know I'm, I try and keep big separations between like, okay, I've got my low intensity work. Um, This should be feeling really easy. If I can get through three sentences, I'm probably in the right zone. And you'd use that, like you mentioned running training, you'd use that as well on, on the bike, ski and row if you if you were doing don't two on those as well, yeah? Yes, uh, but I only use it myself on the uh, bike and the run because I just don't think I'm fit enough to be able to accurately be on, on the rower and maintain a, you know, be in zone two. My heart rate shoots up, my perceived exertion shoots up, even if I'm just like really slow on the row, sometimes I do it, you know, just to improve my rowing technique, but it's really, really slow. So the position, and this is probably from a lack of a lack of training at that modality. Once I become much more comfortable at it, I should be able to to do that. But 
because of my sort of fitness levels, I tend to not use the row, um, which isn't good if I'm going to be competing at high rocks coming up because really the better high, better high rocks athletes will be able to do that. So let the missus do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah she has got with an engine actually much better than mine so um uh, i was going to ask you about like modality and whether you can switch in the modality during during the session you, you you think that's a no-no do you well i actually think it's uh, a very important physiological skill to master the difference is it's not zone two work um so your ability especially in high rocks to like okay i'm running all my blood's going to the working muscles in my leg um then all of a sudden first stage i'm on the ski erg quick redirect all of that all of that blood well not all of it um my, a lot of that blood you need to constrict those blood vessels vessel dilate the stuff in the upper body and redirect it and that, that's a that's a skill and that's something that your brain allows so you have to be physiologically good at that for allowing your brain to do that because your brain isn't going to allow all that blood to stay in your lower body while moving blood also to the upper body because then your blood pressure will drop and you'll just pass out um the brain the brain is trying to avoid that happening um so the ones that are better at like redirecting blood to the working muscles through vasodilation and vasoconstriction are going to be the you know the ones that do better at high rocks okay okay so if you uh okay I was going to say, if you were going to do zone two training, I guess that's not zone two training, but you feel like there's, there's a benefit to sort of training both, if you like, pure zone two training, single modality, and also mixed modality, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah, I see them training separate qualities. And I'd probably, if I had like an entire year that was leading up to just one high rocks, I probably would spend a lot of the um, first half, you know, working probably a high percentage of the zone two type training because it, it takes a long time to develop really the adaptations from it like cardiac muscle is very different from uh skeletal muscle skeletal mm. muscles need to work for a little bit then they can rest the heart needs to work all the time so it's really f fatigue resistant uh so um you know training adaptations to the heart take a long time so i would spend a long time doing that and then as i work my way up to the um the actual event like say I did like a 80, 20 or 90, 20 split in terms of like high intensity, low intensity work, I would slowly sort of like reduce the percentages to like, maybe like, you know, like 80, 20, 70, 30, 40, 60, um, leading up to the event. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I'd probably have like a, a recovery period where I was just doing low intensity work for maybe like two weeks. doesn't have to be long. Um, and then I'll be back straight back into it. So, um, yeah, you're giving yourself enough time to develop those adaptations from the zone two work. And then all of a sudden you've got that base to then support the recovery when you start doing the more um, high intense work. And um, yeah, so, I mean, with that high intense work, I would have, um, let's see, well, actually you can, you can, you'd either have it as like intervals, which I'd have as the high intensity work. And then I'd have, um, let's say like an EMOM where I'm moving around different apparatus. So ski erg, row, then it might be a run, then I'm lunging, all of those types of things. Because you could do that at a low intensity to try and help develop those, you know, the movement of blood flow, the delivery of oxygen and how it's utilized. Yeah, but it's not zone two work, but it's still kind of low intensity work. So you can do that by 
not only developing those physiological qualities, but you help just get the reps in, develop the skill, become more efficient at it. Um, so yeah, that would probably be the low intensity zone two work and that low intensity sort of mixed modality work will probably be together, but then mm -hmm. they're creating different physiological qualities, but both are just as important for high rocks. Yeah. And I guess they, they're, they're both beneficial without being overly fatiguing and compromising other sessions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, th yeah. Those high intensity stuff, the, the ones that require you to be most fresh beforehand and then the longest recovery after it. But surrounding that can be the lower intensity stuff that doesn't generate the, as much fatigue, like you said. Um, so, yeah, you can organize your training week around that. Yeah. And um, I, I won't talk about zone two all day, but uh, is there a, I guess, like the, it's the total volume across a week or a month or, or months that, that, that really counts? But do you feel like there's a minimum amount of time per session that, that you should do it for like does the research show like you you really need to do it for at least 45 minutes before it's really doing anything or um or not not necessarily um i would when you're really developing that zone too if that's a real focus i probably would have at least one session per week that was long i could be like your weekend like three hour ride I don't know, two hour run, something like that. Um, and that's going to be seen as like one of your like main sessions. So that's going to drive a lot of that. And then it kind of gets supported by smaller sessions during the week. Like we're not like, um, there's a free, there's a free book out written by Vanderpol who, um, he won the 10 K speed skating. Mm -hmm. You know, they go around. And he, he details his training and he, he spends most of the year on a bike and he's putting in like six hours a day. Like we don't, but there'll still be like one day where it's like even longer that that's the key day. Um, so his smaller sessions are like six hours where our smaller sessions are, <laughs> if we're working, it's, it's a bit smaller than that. Um, so yeah, I would, yeah, disperse my zone two stuff around the week, but I still would have like one key day where I was spending a long time on feet or on bike that type of thing and then from that you would see what your total volume is for that week and then you just tailor it week by week you know some weeks you might not increase the amount of volume some weeks you might increase a little bit um sometimes you might increase the intensity very slightly um very small changes but just see how your body responds i have had uh, a mate of mine said he's had some uh good good responses by sort of incorporating 20 minutes of it but usually around other training that they might be doing um so it acts as zone two training but it kind of acts as a little bit like recovery work post-session it's not long enough to cause any great interference to their main sessions that type of thing um and you said well when they're doing so much work but you're kind of limited on time it's just about getting it in in, in decent places and he's found like these 20 minute blocks before or after um have like a good effect but also isn't detrimental to the main part of the session that they want to do um so there could be a number of different ways that you could get that in okay all right um and uh, just one more question on this topic I, f I feel like maybe i've heard you talk about or someone else talk about um like for some athletes there may be in a zone two training session there may be a benefit to to just pausing 
for 15 20 seconds maybe to uh, uh, and then and then continuing is there is that right did i hear you talk about that and if so if so why might that be yeah you you are correct um those are typically athletes that um say you've got an athlete that's like when they run especially for long periods of time they go oh my quads blow up they just feel like they're just so full it's like they've got the pump and it makes it hard to run uh the reason being that well that's that's occurring is because the blood is pooling in the area so it gets that fullness feeling and when that happens it becomes harder to maintain um submaximal contractions over a long period of time so those that aren't don't do that are very good of contracting and then relaxing and it's when people are bad at muscle relaxation that blood can't return to the rest of the body and then come back with oxygenated blood hence why you know they're not able to produce that force over time because they're not getting the oxygenated blood that they need so there's a lack of like flow because every time you, you contract the muscle it acts like a tourniquet you know you, you've seen the blood flow restriction stuff mm-hmm. that you can either have in your legs or your arm it, the muscle contraction kind of acts the same let's say if you've got a muscle fiber and you've got the um uh, capillaries going over it which supplies the uh, oxygenated blood if that muscle then contracts it's then pressing on the capillaries like acts as like squeezing them shut uh, so obviously that stops blood flow but um that's okay if you're able to relax as well so the reason why we sometimes say maybe just add in like a, a small section of like 10 seconds of recovery so you might do i don't know 30 seconds work which is relatively easy then 10 seconds rest 30 seconds work 10 seconds rest it's really boring but you're just encouraging your your body to like okay quickly relax we go again relax we go again teaching it to relax to encourage that uh, movement of blood flow uh, to hopefully not do that again (laughs) i think it's what i need in the uh in the upper body because my upper body if i'm doing any type of i don't know crossfit workout i just hit 12 reps and i just can't do anymore because my body's so used to my body's so used to years of like hypertrophy training whereas that you know like fullness the pump or it creates the right metabolic environment for hypertrophy it doesn't necessarily create the right environment if you want to do endurance with the upper body um so maybe i need to get an arm crank and just do like (laughs) 30 seconds 10 seconds 30 seconds 10 seconds um so yeah if you could yeah could argue that years and years of hypertrophy training has uh not exactly prepared my upper body for um muscular endurance training that's that's to say that's a that's more regular rest than i thought you were going to say like 30 seconds then 10 30 seconds i, I thought you might have said five minutes then then 10 seconds but so that's that, that is fairly regular yeah i mean it will depend on the intensity yeah. um so obviously the the higher intensity you go you um obviously you're going to have more of a increase in blood lactate um so yeah you're just teaching the uh just teaching the muscles to relax and that, that goes to like anything like whether you're doing low intensity like uh long distance running or if you're doing sprinting like muscle relaxation is so key and it's a skill that people often forget um yeah watch a powerlifter sprint like and then compare it to like bolt you'll just see a completely different pattern like the <laughs> of how their leg swings and 
the reason their leg swings like that is because all the muscles are like want to be on all the time because their sport requires them to be on all the time when producing force so they just have a lack of ability to relax and they don't necessarily need to as much because you know powerlifting's one rep isn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right all right thanks for that if, if we shift away from from like zone two type training for a while um just to, the, these are just some questions that I had really <laughs> just, just random but um from a recovery perspective I'm interested to know your thoughts on like there's there's quite a trend with ice baths at the moment and hot and cold exposure and so on where, where do you stand with that like my feeling I'll tell you is I wonder if it is interfering with the adaptation process if you if you're doing an ice bath after training every time do you feel like there is a time and place for it and if so when yeah i i do i mean i have a lot of friends who swear by it but i think they they swear by it from like a well-being point of view it makes them just feel better Mm -hmm. uh so you know regardless of what the science says i mean there's probably science on sort of well-being and happiness and perception yes but if it makes you feel better like go for it um in terms of uh adaptation to training i think you're absolutely right so it's all about when you do it so if you look at the crossfit games you're always seeing them getting into an ice bath and that's fine because at the crossfit games you're not trying to adapt from the training you're trying to recover as quickly as possible so you can do the next event so ice baths are the perfect uh way of of doing that Uh, it reduces inflammation etc etc um if you did that after every session then you are blunting the the response the body is trying to make to try and adapt to the stress from that training session so ice baths all the time uh, after training probably not a good idea ice baths after a particular event where recovery is key a good idea and then in terms of just using ice baths for um I, i don't know as much for longevity i know there's a lot more people out there that are probably more uh well versed on that than me but yeah, just uh, just at a time away from training, so that uh, the effects of that just are gone by the time you train. Mm-hmm. And there's that the, the advice doesn't change whether it's like a strength based session or a cardio based session or anything like that. The 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 adaptation process is still blunted in theory by by cold exposure. Yeah, pretty much, um, because uh, I mean people often see uh, or link it to like hypertrophy or sometimes strength training where there's some form of metabolic or damage there that's that's been blunted whereas that metabolic damage is probably going to be there um, during endurance training as well the body doesn't necessarily recognize if you're doing endurance training or strength training it just recognizes if you're doing the force that's been applied onto it and how long is it doing it for um, so you can get just as much doms or um yeah any type of like mechanical or must uh, metabolic damage after both endurance and strength training so if you are i put in an ice bath after that you're going to be blunting the repair of that damage so you're limiting your body to adapt to it mm-hmm. how about like the opposite like heat exposure saunas and, and so on i think there's there's a fair bit of research around the benefit of saunas isn't there yeah, I'm I'm not too familiar with the research around saunas. And that's probably because um whenever I've often looked into stuff that I've had access to. 
I've had access to like cold. I've never really had access to like saunas on a weekly on a weekly basis. I've never done anything like the mouth and or bad water. Um, so uh, I, from like a well-being in terms of blood flow, I'm not too well versed. However, more and more people are uh, reporting like really positive results. And I was speaking to someone not too long ago on the benefits of utilizing sauna to try and um, improve your ability to thermoregulate if you're preparing for something in a hot environment. So for example, like the marathon de Sabas, for example, you need your ability to uh, sweat imp- uh, very well to try and <laughs> try and thermoregulate your body. So, you know, trying to improve your body's ability to do that is really quite important, but you need like a good solid sort of sauna based training before it to try and get to that level that would be appropriate for something like running the Sahara desert. Yeah. A little bit less extreme than Sahara, but high rocks can get pretty warm too, right? Yeah. Very humid in there. Very wet. You can just feel the sweat in the air, which is uh, quite grim if you think about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, it does get hot in there. Yeah, yeah. Do you um do you use any tech in in your training or your or your performing? Um, and if so, what? And and sort of maybe a secondary question is, um, are you looking at HRV, heart rate variability, and, and finding that useful? And what's the research around that show? Yeah, I. Where is it? I actually haven't since, and this is me being slack. But since uh, my boy was born. I hadn't, but uh, I have an app which I particularly like. Where is it? Um, so, HRV four training. Yeah. Uh, and w- what it does is that you place your thumb over the light on your iPhone, and every morning, and then it measures your heart rate variability. Uh, and I know the higher the higher the heart rate variability, the kind of better or more. Um, better position or better readiness that you are in um but i quite often see it as like if you start to see changes every day like that that's more of a problem than like you're low consistently or higher consistently so it's like variability in the variability which is more of an issue um so it's always i've been playing around with it um i like it but the issue i found is i need a consistent way of measuring it so, for example, the recommendation, this may sound a bit weird, is when you get up first thing, go to the loo and then do it sitting up. Before then, I was doing it when I've woken up and lying down. So obviously that's going to change the the effect of the heart and the use of gravity in terms of like your circulatory system. So all these different things have like a real effect on your the measure that you get. So... Yeah, I've been playing around with how best to to actually utilize it because any changes of what I do is going to affect its reading and then I could then misinterpret what that reading's saying. Um, but because of that, because it's quite sensitive to that, I think it's quite good. I don't use a whoop or an aura ring. Um, I haven't yet. Um, there's been interesting comments in the literature regarding both of those. I've heard a lot of people say that the aura ring is better but I can't remember why. Um, but, it, you know, in terms of what it provides you, like it's really quite cool, that percentage of daily strain. 
And, uh, you know, whether it's slightly off or not, it's going to tell if you're like really tired or not. <laughs> but um, sometimes if you train and you're not feeling great and you've got like 46% on your like whoop, you end up having an amazing session. Someone else might have gone 46% or oh, better not train today. You know, my, my, I'm too highly stressed. Um, so I, I don't think it's as easy as like, okay, my whoop is saying this, I need to do this. There are other things to consider. Um, and I haven't really personally decided what that criteria is yet okay i need so to play like, around with it really yeah so it's like potentially interesting but how to actually utilize it and let it influence what you're doing is still open to discussion yeah yeah open to debate yeah yeah okay okay um do you, any other... do you, do you use whoop or anything like that no i don't i don't use whoop or anything i i, I did to be fair going back quite a, a few years now uh, i started looking at hrv and then just found that I wasn't really using it because, you know, some days I'd feel good and it was telling me I wasn't and like you like you touched on. So I was never really like really sure how to use it. And I can see a benefit in just continuing to measure every day and then maybe look for patterns and, and, and clues and things. But no, I, I must admit, I've stopped using it. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Like, um, it's it's good to do it over a long period of time because like you said you're looking for patterns it tells a story um some people think oh it's raised slightly what's well, gone down slightly i need to do something to change that or take advantage of that and it's like it, probably the day-to-day -day variability is is just pretty normal there you, you don't don't overact to any small change that you see um and, and that's probably why I, I stopped when i was you know we've just had our first child because like I was getting like four hours sleep a night and I might be able to get half an hour's worth of training in. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, uh, you know, it, I'm I'm too governed by other lifestyle factors at the moment to fully utilize it. If I was a full-time athlete, yeah, I would. But at the moment, it's just not working for me. Yeah, okay. Um, we're uh, we're in the off-season at the moment of, of High Rocks anyway. And... Uh... But then when, when we get into the season, which really kicks off this, this weekend in Sydney, the races come pretty thick and fast and mm. there's a temptation for a lot of people to race fairly regularly uh, and so on. Do you have a feel for um, like how how often someone can expect to, to peak for a race across maybe a year um, and yeah, how you might go approach, approach that racing-wise? Yeah, I, I'm quite anecdotal, but I think people only have the ability to properly peak about two to three times a year. Uh, so people that race all the time, like there's probably an issue with that. Or say you have seven races, seven high rocks races over the year. Just pick which ones are your peak ones and the other ones which are kind of training races. Like there's nothing better than to really truly understand the sport than to do it regularly. So, you know, if you've got a race where like, okay, this is a training race, I'm going to try my uh, paces on the runs at this pace. Uh, I'm going to, you know, use it as an opportunity to see what my RPE is on each station, how I feel after each one, how it works, all of those. So it gives you so much information and also so much experience of how to deal with the rock stone or all those little tactical skills which you don't get when you're training so this isn't me saying don't do all of those <laughs> don't do all those events do them 
but don't expect to peak or don't try to peak because you'll run yourself into the ground. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, I think people try and like go as fast as they can because they know people can see their scores when they log into the Hivox website and people post it on social media. So, you know, having an event where like you're lower in the leaderboard and people are seeing that people might just go, I don't like that. I'm going to go for it. And also you're in, you know, the atmosphere is really quite cool in, in Hivox and it makes you push even more and your perception of how you are pushing is going to be completely different than if you did it in training. So it's it's hard to do, um, but that's why you've got a coach. Coaches yeah. are that second uh, second brain, which is going to advise you on what to do and try and like I always like athletes that you know you you tell them to do less because they're the ones that are just you know just will go all out for it. There's nothing worse than an athlete where you feel like you have to tell them to do more, but it's easier to like pull the reins on someone than push them to do more. But uh, so uh yeah having that with high rocks and then just having training events i think it's really cool i think it's a really cool idea i've even had a few friends that like utilize other sports as training events as well um so say high rocks is their main sport then they go do like um a triathlon as part of their zone two training um you know i think that's a great idea um it's something different people like a bit of variety um it has the ability to give you an idea of the culmination of all your zone two work over a long period of time. If it's, you know, this is my base work culminates with a triathlon. Oh, I did really well. They enjoyed it. I felt good on the run, et cetera, et cetera. That can provide a nice stepping stone leading into the more competitive phase of your, um, your of your season. Yeah. It's, it's something that I actually talk, briefly talked about with George Edwards, who I interviewed recently because he's preparing for an Ironman at the moment and like preparing for something like that in the off season where you're getting a lot of zone two working like makes sense to me as you, and then you might ramp up the intensity to high rock sort of levels as you get into the season. Um, and it is a good, I don't know how closely you follow like the elite side of high rocks, but it's a consideration for those guys as well this year in terms of like, they're going to have four major races plus a world championship, you know, if, if, if they, if they qualify for all of them and then plus races where they're trying to qualify for those races Um so there's certainly going to be considerations where they need to choose what they're going to pick for as well, because trying to do it for five, six, seven races. Um, yeah. Yeah. Might, 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 come, might become difficult. Yeah. It's like the constraints of the sport force you to do certain things. Mm. So, yeah. you know, you might have someone that's gets forced to peak many times or many, too many times um, because of their trying to qualify or do this or do that and the other. Um, and then you might get someone that's, you know, at the very top level, like a Hunter McIntyre that probably could go, you know what, I just need this position or this time to qualify. So I'll do that knowing that I could have actually got two or three minutes in the tank, but I'll save that for later. Yeah. 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 Um, if we, uh, like, this is a bit of a less specific question, but is there any training mistakes that you feel are, are commonly being made by a, hybrid athletes or high rocks athletes um that, that we haven't touched on main one probably is around training like high rocks all the time uh there's a time and place for it you know leading up to high rocks um but i wouldn't try and train like this is a high rock session monday wednesday fridays we've got high rock sessions uh i i, I probably wouldn't train like that especially early in the season because it might just lead you to to 
train too intense too early and then by the time you get later in the season you're you're just knackered um you know try and pinpoint over a season what you need and what you need to work on and what would will need to go first so that's what i would probably do um i'd argue that rather than oh look at that wad it looks like a high rock session because it has row lunges and wall balls in it uh be a bit more thoughtful in terms of how you program so for example like if we think physiologically what skills do we need to have like we need to be able to jump off the rower and then put in a fast 1k time so that is a skill we need to get better at we need to you know all of a sudden everything the blood is like in the whole body we need to redirect it to the to the legs again um or vice versa we've gone from uh producing force in the lunges in a certain way then all of a sudden we've got to run where we act like a a bouncy strut it's very different like that's a skill for the body to allow you to to do um so you know be aware of those things and try and train them and then i always try and incorporate what we said earlier about just encouraging um muscle relaxation like i've i like doing a few things i've only really tried actually to be honest with with ball balls um where like i'll do like a set of I don't know, 12, rest for five seconds, go again, rest for five seconds. I'm just trying to encourage uh, effort, relaxation, effort, relaxation, just to try and be able to be able to develop that muscular endurance so I can do high rep sets of something, Mm -hmm. Um, which I've only really tried, to be honest, with um, uh, wall balls, but that's probably because I'm starting at such a low bar (laughs) because of my upper body endurance. So... um, yeah, I would, I would try, you know, think a bit more carefully as to what physiological qualities are limiting you when it comes to the event. Look back at your scores as in your times, how long it took and try and think, well, why did I, um, you know, if I wanted to maintain a certain pace for all my runs, but after this event, all of a sudden it's much slower. It's like, why? Maybe I need to start working on that. Just incorporate that into a, in a smaller way into a wad and then just build it over time so you can practice that physiological skill okay so I, yeah rather than just like random stuff together that uses the same exercises yeah yeah makes sense all right brilliant um well, well thank you for this this is this has been fantastic one one last question that i've been asking uh, everyone on the podcast is uh if you if you could put a message on a billboard that, that goes out to the world that everyone would see um what what would it say <laughs> I don't know. Do you think I should put that watch out for this future world champion as I call my son the future world champion? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll go with that. Like honestly, I don't mind whatever he ends up doing. <laughs> I just like the uh I just like the uh the ring to it. Like he could be an artist, I'd be very, very happy. Um yeah, yeah. but um yeah, I do some work with the Royal Ballet and um they are absolute athletes, the ballet dancers from from the Royal Ballet, absolutely insane what they can do. Um, really, yeah, <laughs> just, just incredible. And um, you see what they have to like six hours worth of uh, training, and then they'll have rehearsal and then then a show in the evening. So it's like eight hours of jumping a day. Wow. Yeah, you, you just need to be so physically fit to be able to do that. They're just just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. Uh, do you want to tell people about 
um, where to find out more about you um, and, and and some bit about your book. Is, is that coming out soon or? Yeah, well, I'm hoping the book will be out before Christmas. Okay. Uh, I like uh, there's one more chapter to do, but the first chapter, first draft of everything else is pretty much done, and I'm 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 relatively happy with it. There's so many different avenues you can go down, and I'm trying to avoid it. And then thinking, I'm th- already thinking of like second, third books, all of that type of thing. Uh, but definitely keep an eye out. Um, yeah, follow me on Instagram if you want to uh, find a bit more. I've been a bit more quiet recently because I've been trying to get this book done. Um, but it's at Dr. Phil Price. And then my podcast is at The Progress Theory. Uh, there's, you know, you can see it on Spotify and I try to put it up on YouTube as well. Um, so, you know, a lot of what I've used, like the information, um, comes from those episodes. So definitely check those out as well. I've tried to synthesize it a little bit more into like um, uh, principles that people can use rather than do this exactly to be a better hybrid athlete. I'm I'm not into that. I want to help people create their own programs. So it's, it's using principles that they can follow and then they can add their own spin to it to um, become hopefully a better coach or yeah. So yeah, that's the book. Um, So yeah, check me out on Instagram and uh, YouTube. Okay. All right, perfect. All right, thank you for this. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. I've got, had a lot of my questions answered. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it's uh, been a huge help to a lot of people. So thank you. Uh, good luck for Birmingham. Hopefully I'll see thank you there. You. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, we, can, we can hopefully talk again which, soon. Which, which event are you doing? I'm doing uh, Men's Open in Birmingham. Men's Open, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. the doubles and the opens are normally during the day, isn't it? So we'll probably be able to cross paths. Whereas if you're doing the pro, you've got you're doing it at midnight, aren't you? So yeah, I uh, I know I need to do a pro race this year, but I thought I'm just going to go abroad and do that rather than do it at eight thirty at night or something. So yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. All right, all right, brilliant. Thank you for this, and uh, yeah, hopefully talk again soon. Cool. See you, everyone. Cheers, mate.